Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. Before I get to this week's topic, uh, as you know, <clears throat> the Compliance Podcast Network is always on the lookout for new podcasts. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast but didn't know how? Well, if you've thought about it, please take a listen to this week's sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. This week we have an internal controls palooza where we take a look at three recent SEC cease and desist order enforcement actions all involved internal control violations by companies. We take a look at Power Solution International, Cons, and Microsoft. Of course, Microsoft was an FCPA enforcement action, so we throw in some FCPA-related conversations for the compliance practitioner. But the cons matter is equally interesting from the internal control perspective because it was an accounting fraud case. So I know that uh, you will enjoy it. It turns out there are quite a bit of lessons to be learned. And the specific discussions of various corporate disciplines within each business organization around their role in internal controls. I know you will find it fascinating. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and now a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance and the compliance evangelist, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. We had uh, a couple of interesting Securities and Exchange Commission's enforcement actions over the past uh, week or so that we thought we might take up from the internal controls perspective. So, Matt, uh, first of all, welcome. Hello, Tom. How are you? Good, good. So uh, you wrote about cons, and uh, we now we have Microsoft. Uh, which one do you want to start with? Well, you know, Tom, it is internal control palooza here at Radical <laughs> Compliance. We actually had three SEC actions within the space of a week where um, internal controls played a starring role in what uh, the SEC had to say and various types of misconduct. So one of them is Cons, the rent-to-own retailer, and the uh, second one is Microsoft with its FCPA settlement. Uh, the third one, I have to admit, I am there's so much, I am not entirely up to speed, but uh, Power Solutions International, if any of you know that company, they got dinged for uh, accounting fraud and earnings management as, as well. So we have internal control issues all over the place. Um, I guess maybe if we want to start with the sexy stuff of Microsoft, that's fine with me. Okay, so Microsoft uh, got into trouble for uh, FCPA violations in a plethora of countries, uh, including uh, Hungary, Saudi Arabia, Thailand, and uh, one other country that escapes my mind right now, but... Turkey, but they focused uh, most of their discussion on Hungary. So you want to start start there, Matt? Yeah, sure. Um, this was interesting. So the big headline stuff is that Microsoft is paying a $8.5 million criminal penalty, I think, and then 
giving up in disgorgement and penalties uh, to the SEC, they're giving up another 16 million or so. So the whole thing nets out to like 25 million and change. Um, I'm going to put aside all the Justice Department criminal implication stuff for Tom Yu and all of your other uh, DOJ compliance people. I'm going to focus more on the internal control issues with the SEC. Um, do not die of shock, dear listeners, but yet again, we have cases of poor control over local agents and resellers, uh, loose oversight of accounting policies, which let Microsoft's subsidiaries work with those local agents to create essentially slush funds, uh, where then the slush funds were diverted to pay bribes to foreign government officials. Um, for example, I know that uh, a good one came from Hungary. Probably uh, the Hungary did get more attention than anybody else here, but Hungary's, uh, Microsoft Hungary asked Microsoft's global business desk, could we please have an additional discount to offer to government agencies in Hungary looking to buy products. We'd like an extra 27.8% discount uh, for a specific agency that was supposedly going to put its uh, software purchasing out to bid. Uh, so yes, Microsoft said, go ahead, grant the additional discount. Now, internal control failure number one, how much internal uh, documentation was provided to uh, Microsoft's main headquarters for this discount? Zero. But nonetheless, the Microsoft's global business desk said, sure, Microsoft Hungary, here is your um, discount. And then the discount was never actually used to be passed along to, I think it was Hungary's tax agency. Um, instead, it was diverted to a bribe. And this extra discount was going to expire on March 31st. And so Hungary's tax agency decided on, I think, March 10th or something, in the middle of March, they decided we're not going to do this bid. Well, oh boy, now we're going to miss the quarter. Everybody from Microsoft is scrambling. There's emails back and forth between them and their reseller. Um, I think one of them actually said, uh, it's very important that we get this by the end of March. In case you have any influence, please push it. And that was a message from Microsoft Hungary to the local agent, who then pushed it. Somehow, lo and behold, uh, the tax agency reopens the bid on March 25th, and then Microsoft squeaks it and books the deal by March 31st, and then, of course, it turns out that the big extra discount never went to Hungary's tax agency. It went to a bribe, and um, it's variations on that theme throughout Thailand or Saudi Arabia or uh, Turkey, where inevitably it's discounts or um, a forgiveness for on the price so that we'll give it to you in form of training. And of course, the training vendor isn't actually a vendor and the money doesn't get spent. It's a slush fund. And then suddenly people are paying for government agencies travel. Um, we've seen all of this before. Uh, none of these shenanigans, Tom, strike me as new. But what does strike me is that it is the constant lack of effective internal controls to get documentation to knock these shenanigans off. And that's where Microsoft was dropping the ball. Um, I don't know. I'd be welcoming your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to jump in there and really pick up on, on those points because first of all, um, we, we actually had an internal control system that in theory worked because they, uh, uh, the local sales, uh, uh, agent did go to the, 
uh, global or rather the business desk for a one-time discount. So at least it was asked. They did proffer business reasons. What they did not do was proffer uh, backup documentation for those reasons. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to put that one off on the business desk. Uh, the deadline of March 31, and then there was a later, uh, a similar situation with the uh, Hungary's Nas- National Police, the ORFK, mm-hmm. where another deadline was given of um, the end of Q2 or June 30. In both situations, it appeared from the SEC cease and desist order that those deadlines were not met and that the contract was concluded after the deadline. And I believe on the uh, first contract, it was concluded in April. And then on the uh, ORFK, it was concluded uh, in uh, September, um, September 1 of that year. So uh, the query I would have is, if control is met and a deadline is set based upon your control, where's the follow-up? Uh, to make sure that the deadline is met and why didn't the control or what rather, why didn't the discount expire and who was watching that? And the second part, though, is the part you raised about the discount. There seemed to be no connection between the uh, business unit or business uh, desk of Microsoft with their accounts payable system, which would cross-reference whether or not the discount was actually given to the end using customer. So uh, I thought those were uh, uh, interesting failures. And then the, the third part that perhaps a a little broader than simply internal controls is the discount itself. It's I think appropriate to have a business unit determination of senior business personnel, or at least those tasked with putting a second set of eyes on a proposed discount. You shouldn't ask the compliance function to do that. And certainly, God forbid, you ask lawyers to say what's a reasonable discount. But if the senior business people tasked with that, uh, they need to evaluate that in terms of uh, the market. And is that discount reasonable? And I guess that's the, the thing that I really saw lacking is any sort of rigor around the paper process that was in place. Well, I, I would pick up on all of that. Yeah, I think fundamentally um – I mean, you're correct that there was a procedure in place. You're supposed to go to the global business desk, and you're supposed to ask for the discount. So in theory, there's a procedure and there's a control, but like, there was no substance behind it. And without the actual documentation, you don't have an audit trail to show why you did decide to give that discount. And Tom, I also agree that it should be a business unit senior executive making the decision, is it right to give the discount? Is it this discount or is it a greater or lesser? You know, but that's all the theory. But in the end, if there is not any actual evidence to back up, this is why we need it, then you have no audit trail. And then eventually um, you can wind up in an awkward situation, as Microsoft clearly was here, because it just looks like a phantom, a phantom control that doesn't actually have any uh, teeth to it. I was struck when um, apparently Microsoft's Hungary people were saying we need it for competition. That's exactly what the Polycom people <laughs> said in China, Yes, where they were seeking discounts. Why? Because competition, as if that's the magical word, and then all discounts flow from just because you've uttered that word. Um, it's not about words. For better or worse, it is about having paper documentation or you know some sort of demonstrable rationale to give this discount to this customer at this time. Um, And if you don't have it, then in hindsight, you wind up 
with this awkward enforcement action and FCPA analysts uh, jawboning about your policies and procedures that didn't actually work. And uh, I think it's a good time. I'm sure you do, Tom, but for Microsoft, this is not welcome. So that's the sort of failure that sticks out in my mind. Like, you know, it has to actually do something, not just give rubber stamp. And uh, in addition to utilizing the same language in the various uh, Hungarian governmental units who sought these discounts, the other thing that struck me was it appeared uh, that the uh, input or the submission, rather, to the global business desk was simply a cut-and-paste job. And Mm -hmm. what struck me there was that was exactly what happened at BHP Billiton when they got in trouble uh, from the FCPA perspective for their – 2008 um, Beijing Olympics uh, gift travel and entertainment set up for foreign government officials where it's specifically noted in the SEC cease and desist order that uh, the submissions to their uh, committee had been literally cut and paste. And from the language of this SEC order, it seemed to be that they picked up on that language from Polycom. Uh, Perhaps they were swapping out tails that uh, simply it was a uh, discount uh, for future business with that particular foreign government. Yeah, I guess the, the other thing, Matt, is one of the things I've been trying to talk about is why the compliance function needs some visibility over uh, not perhaps individual sales, but the sales process. And that uh, transaction monitoring, transaction analysis is becoming more important from the compliance perspective. If they had had an appropriate compliance a perspective or review over or even uh, oversight uh, or visibility into, they perhaps could have not only stopped an FCPA violation, but probably had some serious questions about why you're giving a 28 to 30% discount above the standard discount that is made available. Yeah. I, I've thought about this from time to time as well. Um, I, in a slightly different context, I can remember the Sanofi FCPA enforcement action that was settled, I guess, last fall, about a year ago, where um, Sanofi had accounting policies where it would give basically credit coupons to its local agents in the Middle East, which then could, under certain circumstances, be converted to cash. And I had written in a post back then that anytime you have an accounting policy which includes some sort of phrase, converted to cash, the compliance department needs to be on that, like white on rice, you know, like, why are we doing this? When might anything ever be converted into cash? Um, that it then immediately becomes a potential avenue for bribery. And I don't recall that 10 or 15 years ago, compliance officers were weighing in on the propriety of certain accounting policies. But that's what has to happen these days because uh, the enforcement risk is high. And there are all sorts of loosey-goosey accounting policies that if you twist them just the right way, they can go from seeming like a good idea to a pile of money in a local agent's hands, and then we all know what happens after that. Um, And this is a similar sort of dynamic. You know, where do these discounts come from? Why are they 27.8%? Why not 25 or 30 or 27.2? I don't know. But um, compliance officers need to be able to identify this and really have these kind of conversations about accounting policy. I bet that is outside the comfort zone of a lot of compliance officers. But the risk does not care if it's in your comfort zone or not. That's just that's the way this is these days. Now let's turn to cons, Matt, because um, uh, 
And let me set it up in uh, going at it in a little bit different direction. Cons is a Texas-based company. So they've been in the news for many years here in the great state of Texas uh, for the fraud they were perpetrating uh, that the SEC spanked them for. And what intrigued me, first of all, in reading your article was not really the, the specifics because those were actually fairly well reported here in Houston, but it was that the uh, cons was sued on the civil side from shareholder actions, uh, literally within a year or two of this information becoming public. And yet he- here nearly five years later, uh, we have an SEC action. So uh, with that, you want to set up uh, what cons did wrong and how the SEC tagged them. Uh, and then why does it contribute to your internal cult control palooza? Well, so um, I have to admit, cons is not a large uh, presence up in New England. I I know who they are, but I'm not that familiar with them. Uh, So cons was engaged in earnings management. Um, That unto itself is not news. A lot of companies do this, for better or worse. But the way that they had done this is what intrigued me. So cons is extending credit to its customers, and therefore they had to understand what is the roll rate for our customer credit risk. How many of our customers are currently up to payment? How many are 30 days delinquent? How many are 60 or 90 days? And what is the rate at which some of these customers might roll from one category into the next worst category? You need to be able to model that out so that you can set aside some of your cash for uh, allowance for doubtful accounts and bad debts. And the control that cons had used was the forecasting model. Um, Executives would manually input what they thought the roll rate should be. And that is not what you should do. What you should do is do this sort of automated disciplined analysis of what has our actual roll rate been in prior periods. And from there, we could then extrapolate what our future estimated roll rate for ongoing periods, what that is likely to be, then we will have a better sense of our doubtful accounts, and we will have a better sense of how much money to set aside for it. So, of course, if you don't do that, if you manually set it, you can lowball it, which is what cons management did, Um, and then uh, they set aside too little money for doubtful accounts while they were expanding into uh, new customers who didn't necessarily have good credit, didn't have any loyalty to cons. Um, lo and behold, Khan's uh, doubtful accounts spiked, and the allowance for doubtful accounts did not keep pace with it. That led to earnings management um, up until I think it was 2015 or so when this all came crashing down. Khan's had to take a $20 million charge to increase its allowance for doubtful accounts. That cut the share price one quarter, and then you know, the stock price tanked. Everybody's upset. Um, But all of this was because they had designed their internal control, the method to create the roll rate for future periods. They designed it as a manual control rather than an embedded automated control. And that gives you much more license to create mischief. So that was my point with uh, several articles I wrote about this, you know, that need for automated controls and management override and manual controls and the nexus between all of that. So with the um, control failures that we had at cons, is there uh, any way that you would see, other than really a management 
making the commitment to not only uh, have a control in place, but enforce that control. Is there any way to really remedy this? Maybe even the same with uh, Microsoft. Well, my point is that um, earnings management is definitely a risk. And if you want to avoid it, then you should look for all of the manual controls around setting estimates. Uh, What is the estimate for allowance for doubtful accounts? Um, Last year, at the end of last year, Hertz was dinged by the SEC. It was management estimates about the long life or lack thereof of vehicle fleets. And if the vehicle fleet has longer life, your inventory is worth more and all of this. Like anytime management has to put an estimate into financial statements, what is the control to generate that number? And if it is a manual control, that leads to the potential for earnings management or all sorts of other financial improprieties. And my argument, the point that I was making, is that you really need automated controls because they divorce you from that temptation. Um, one audit executive I know down in Atlanta, Terry Thompson, great guy, he was talking about how people act in their self-interests and what are you incentivized to do and what were these managers at cons incentivized to do? Well, if you have some power, such as a manual control, you're going to be tempted to exercise that in your self-interest. I'm not excusing what cons management did here, but you can kind of see where they eventually got carried away because they had the power to get carried away. So you really want to, at the start, when you are still a fresh-faced company and a new executive team and you're oh so dedicated to ethics, you say, let's design our internal controls to be as embedded and automated as possible so that we don't give ourselves that ability to give in to temptation even when we want. We can't. So let's say, for example, let's go back to the roll rate. Uh, let's say that cons did have an automated way to calculate the roll rate. It would look at past roll rates and current uh, situations, and then the automated systems would punch out what the future roll rate should be. And financial software today can do that. That is not a big ask. But if it gives a roll rate that the management doesn't like, could management then still change the roll rate? Well, yeah, sure you could. I'm not saying that you have to handcuff yourself or give up all your ability to override an automated control. But that's actually what you want. You want an automated control that gives you the number you're supposed to use for an estimate. And if you want to change it, management has to override that, which is a much bigger deal than if management gets to come up with an estimate on its own. Because when you are overriding a control like that, you are saying, our judgment is better than what the automated systems and the data say the answer should be. We disagree with that. We think our, our judgment is better than what the data tells us. That's a big deal. You have to document that. Um, in theory, an audit firm could show up. It could rerun that automated control and find out, well, the roll rate was only 10%, and you said the roll rate should be 3%. Where did you come up with that? You know, and it forces people to be more disciplined. And that, I thought, was the big lesson with this cons case. And frankly, you know, you've seen other cases like this over the years, is where management deliberately establishes an internal control so that's manual, gives them more ability to exercise judgment from the start. And that's not what you should do. You should, whenever possible, have an automated control so that you can override it, but you're going to have to work harder to insert 
your own judgment there. And that's what we want to do. We want to trust the data more than trust our gut instinct. Um, and that led to a, a couple of different posts and conversations on LinkedIn and with some of the uh, audit executives I chatter with. So I actually thought the cons enforcement action was really a very interesting, good, teachable moment, um, along with Microsoft. You know, yet again, we had uh, a control that theoretically existed, uh, but it didn't actually get the evidence necessary to come up with the answer that, say, Microsoft gave. Where was the documentation to justify a discount? Uh, go back to cons. Where was the ju justification to uh, have a, an unusually low roll rate? It's all about getting evidence, and where does the evidence come from? Can that be generated in an automated way from other data that exists within your enterprise? That would be the ideal. I know it's not universal, but that's what you want to shoot for. Um, and then if you want to change what the data says you should do, you're going to have to work harder to prove that. Um, and you really do want to be able to prove it because if it's a control that generates something automatically, other people can rerun that process. Auditors say, you know, they reperform the process. And then they would be able to come up with whatever answer was originally supposed to be there. And then they can turn around and say, all right, management, why did you change it? It's an awkward conversation unless you have the evidence. And that's a good discipline process. That's what we want. Well, Matt, after uh, kind of reviewing these uh, SEC enforcement actions with you, not only do I find that they have quite a bit of uh, significant lessons learned for the compliance practitioner, but really it helps you think through not only the role of internal controls, but the role of each corporate discipline at each point uh, within that internal control structure. Would that be a fair assessment? It would be, yeah. And, I mean, when you look at what is happening here, the SEC is going to keep enforcing internal control issues. I don't care if it's FCPA or if it's accounting fraud or earnings management or anything else. Um, all of it traces back to effective internal control. It has to work. And uh, compliance officers have to be conversant in what that actually means because this is going to be a fact of our lives for, I think, until you and I are long gone, Tom. Well, on that note, Matt, I uh, can't wait to see what next week brings us. All right. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I'm going to link to Matt's blog post on both cons and Microsoft, as well as my blog post on Microsoft. Hope you'll join us again next week, where we'll take up another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network and a member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.